When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In 1997, the Spawn animated series debuted on HBO. Also in 1997, Spawn debuted on the big screen. That didn't go so well. But fear not, as we prepare to take on the hellish task of proving to you that Spawn the movie is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And for the first time in this podcast history, we have a request that came in from our website. Chad Lamasa emailed us and asked us, if we would do an episode on Spawn, and we are here to tackle that very movie. So thank you very much for that, Chad. And by the way, our website is notthatbadcast.com. So if there's a movie that you want us to cover, guess what? We'll do it because we're that crazy. And joining me on this crazy road is my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. (laughs) It's been a crazy run. It has been a crazy run. (laughs) It's been a great year. It's been, I I can't, I can't complain at all about all the awesomeness that has happened in this 2023. I say that knowing that you were regretting watching this movie. Okay. Regret is such a big word it wasn't necessarily regret it was um maybe questioning mm-hmm. questioning my uh my life choices at that moment <laughs> in time <laughs> questioning why we're here who is gamora why, why is, is gamora? gamora um no but questioning truly if 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 it was it was this a favorite movie was this one that um the the request was there's no way they can find anything to say good about this movie i i do believe the terminology was i'd I'd be curious to hear what you guys do with spawn i'm like yeah i'll go down that road because the thing is and i have confessed this on many an episode i am a total and utter geek so if it's a superhero or comic book based movie i'm probably going to watch it and i'm probably going to have an okay time if not always a good time an okay time at least i'll enjoy myself have you seen this movie before i had seen this movie before okay, so, so this was a rewatch for you exactly this is this is not fresh turf for me this was a first for me and unfortunately the movie narcolepsy was starting to kick in on her when she while we were watching this now admittedly that was a protective we watched this 
late at night <laughs> after she had worked all day. So I was also shutting down. Yeah, I was, I was shutting down. So now that she has, you know, healed from the elbow bruises into the ribs that kept her awake <laughs> through the whole movie. Uh, sorry, not sorry. It's time to go down this road. But before we do, before we go into the depth of hell for this one, Ooh. it is time to take Spawn and trailerize it. From the bowels of the underworld comes the Hell Spawn. A trained killer returned from the dead to slay and destroy as the head of the hordes of hell. He'll leave a trail of dead in his wake by his hand or otherwise. His very presence brings chaos and darkness. So why the hell is this film rated PG-13? I mean, seriously. That would be like if Disney decided to pick up the Friday the 13th franchise. Al Simmons makes a deal with the devil to reunite with his wife, only to find that she moved on, had a kid, and actually made out better than when he was alive. No wonder he's left clowning around with John Leguizamo in the alleyways of Rat City. Witness the raw power that 1997 CGI can bring to bear to the big screen, which is about the equivalent of a PlayStation game. And in all honesty, that's being unfair to most PlayStation games. In this big screen adaptation that proves, once and for all, that all you need is a good soundtrack and people will remember the film. Spawn! Rated PG-13 for PlayStation graphics. Now keep in mind, when I say PlayStation graphics, only the PS1 was out around this time. The PS2 didn't come out till like three years later. So we're talking the lowest of the low for PlayStation graphics here and before we even get into this, before we even get into who's in it and whatnot, I'm going to ask you, because I know you, I've met you, we, we, we have spent some time together. <laughs> I know for a fact that when the movies get big and loud and smashy, that's usually when you tune out. So knowing what this movie is, was it hard for you to stay awake? Oh, yeah. Even cake couldn't keep me awake. Yeah. You have to, true story. True story. She brought home cake. Like she, <laughs> she brought home the sugar rush, and I'm pretty sure the only thing that would have kept her going was maybe a six-pack of Red Bull shotgun through a screwdriver hole in the side of it. <laughs> I tried. I, I tried, and it was... Um, I mean, she did succeed. She got. She saw the credits, so that's that's a bonus. Yeah. Okay, but let's get into who is in this film. The movie stars Michael Jai White, John Leguizamo, Martin Sheen, Teresa Randall, Nicole Williamson, D.B. Sweeney, Melinda Clark, Miko Hughes, and Sidney Baudouin. However, there is an almost starring in this one. And I'm going to start with some of the side characters before we get to the big one here. In the role of Terry, as played by, by D.B. Sweeney, so this is Al Simmons' friend, Ed Norton was originally planning to play him, but he dropped out to do Rounders. So, A, smart move on Ed Norton's part, but B, can you actually picture Ed Norton in that role? Yeah, I think I could. I think I could. And 
I mean that I mean the actor who who played his friend was fine. DB Sweeney, yeah. There was nothing nothing wrong with his performance, but I like Ed Norton. I know you do. I do. And you know, maybe it would have had a more fight club vibe. I don't know, maybe. See, here's the thing. Like I could see Ed Norton bringing his level of Bruce Banner to that role cuz I'm going to say it right now, The Incredible Hulk is one of the more unfairly maligned MCU films. And I know that's saying a lot given the state of some of the films that have come out lately. And for the record, I have been enjoying everything that's come out in Phase 4 and so far in Phase 5. So anyone out there who's dissing on Marvel, get off my boat. I like my Marvel. It's all good. But I think he actually his Incredible Hulk film was actually a good film, even though Mark Ruffalo definitely took the role and made it his own. Yeah. I. You know what? When I think of the Hulk, I got to think of Mark Ruffalo. Mm. Sorry. That's okay. It's okay. As long as you're not thinking Eric Bana, we're fine. In the role of Cogliostro, as played by Nicole Williamson. Now, by the way, this was also Nicole Williamson's final ever role before he passed away. Originally set to play the character was Richard Harris, the original Dumbledore, <gasps> as Cogliostro. Ooh. But he pulled out of the project. And the thing is, and, and I'm going to put this out there right now, a lot of my criticisms of this film exist because of the existence of the animated HBO series, which was so good. Is that fair, though? It, it came out in the same year. Okay, but being that I have nothing to go on, and I watched this movie as a standalone mm-hmm. for the first time last night. Which might actually be the better way it, to go into it. I think it is. Mm-hmm. I really do. But Richard Harris as Cogliostro. Could you have pictured him? Oh, Richard Harris can do no wrong. See, the thing is, I think he would have looked the part of Cogliostro a bit more. Because Nicole Williamson apparently did not want to grow a beard and did not want to even wear a fake beard for the role. But Cogliostro actually has a beard in the comic books, and in the animated series. If you watch the animated series and the gruffness of it, um, Richard Harris would have nailed it. Just so I'm clear on on this, that was the character that was hanging out in the alley. With the the sword hand that would have decapitated Spawn, trying to get him to work for the other side, if you will, yes. You know what? I I mean, the actor who played him was so great. Mm -hmm. He was, I, he was... He was enjoyable. He he was. He absolutely was. But from a visual perspective, I could easily have seen Richard Harris. But, you know, maybe you're just pigeonholing, like, Dumbledore with the beard. I mean, I'm sure he... And that's fair enough. I'm sure he didn't have to have, like, this uber long beard. No. But, I mean, some facial hair, maybe. But, again, we're, we're nitpicking here. And then the problem, too, with a lot of comic book properties is that... Unlike a novel where it's just words on a page and you can kind of envision in your mind what you think the character should look like, you're spoon-fed the image of what the character was supposed to look like based on the creator's you know initial idea. So when you see a comic book, that's how you want the character in real life to look. Mm. And... In some cases with the movies, they have nailed it. Like you think about 
Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, aside from having the perfect personality for, for, for Tony Stark, he nailed it. Like the look, the mannerisms, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. He is. He totally is. You know, some of the other, uh, you know, castings, while not maybe spot on, Marvel's done a phenomenal job of casting. And I think DC's actually done an okay job as well. But that being said, Jason Momoa should have been playing Lobo instead of Aquaman. That I agree with. Right. 100%. Okay, so let's get to the biggest almost starring on this one. Considered for the role of Al Simmons or Spawn, I'm going to go through this list. And again, this this is a long one here. One by one, I'm going to go through the list and you tell me yes or no. Could you picture them playing Al Simmons? And remember, this is 1997. Wesley Snipes. Uh, well, okay, but I mean, he was Blade. He was Blade, but he was Blade after this film came out. Mm, okay. Cuba Gooding Jr., no, only because I think he's too funny. He's too, like, I, I don't think I could take him quite seriously. Okay. Tony Todd, who you may know better as the office quarterback. It was a commercial series where a guy would just start randomly tackling people in the office as motivation. I'm kind of picturing... Um, You're picturing Terry Crews. Terry Crews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ba- basically, picture 1997 Terry Crews. That's kind of what Tony Todd was. Terry Crews would have been fantastic. And possibly, yeah. Uh, Alan Payne, uh, who is, of course, was in Major Payne, the TV series. Denzel Washington. Okay. Yeah. Now, now you're starting to feel a little bit more? I can get behind that. Okay. And again, this, according to IMDb, was the list of actors that were considered for the role of Al Simmons, okay? Samuel L. Jackson. Is literally the next name on the <laughs> list. <laughs> really? Yep. <laughs> I'm reading your mind. 1997 Samuel L. Jackson as Spawn. Ooh. You know what? That would have been really good. Okay, but it would I, have had to have been an R-rated film then. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what it was missing maybe that's what was holding it back was the pg-13 rating because i don't know i are, are we doing this are we are can i let loose now yeah. let's get through this list of almost starting because trust me when i say okay, when we get more. to when we get to some of these names you're gonna lose your ish all right okay ving rames you'll probably remember him best from pulp fiction it's Marcellus Wallace. Ooh. Hmm. Okay. I could see that. Okay. 1997, Will Smith. No. No. No, no. Again. Um, now, keep in mind, too, he, he you know, backed away and chose to do Men in Black. So, no. Will Smith with the money move right there. He's too... Too good at that point? Too handsome, now, if that makes any sense now, at all? Apparently, he chose not to pursue the role because he felt it would tarnish his his good image in 1997 at the time, which is really weird to say that in 2023, knowing everything that, uh, that happened. I think he's too handsome. He is way too handsome to give him the burnt-up face. 
okay, well, tell that to Ryan Reynolds, who went all full char baby with Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds is not handsome. I'm telling Blake Lively you said that. Well, she should know. Is, I mean, someone should tell her. <laughs> someone should damn well tell Blake Lively that Ryan Reynolds is not that attractive. She got the wrong Ryan. Oh. <laughs> oh, you went Ooh. there. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, three more here. <laughs> Tupac Shakur. Eh. The funny thing is, I could have actually seen Tupac Shakur in that role. LL Cool J. Ooh, okay. You're liking that one, I right? Can, I can get behind that. Especially when you think about <gasps> SWAT, right? Ice-T. No, Ice-T wasn't the, the last name on this list. Are you ready? No, but I want to see Ice-T in that role. Ice-T would have been cool. I'll admit. Very cool. But the last name on this list, according to IMDb. All right, bring it. The D-O-double-G Snoop Dogg. Snoop! <laughs> oh my God. Can, um, can you actually picture a Snoop Dogg no. spawn? No. No, Yo, 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 back from the H to the Hizzle. <laughs> Check out my no. cape, y'all. No. No. Just, just no. Just no. No. The no. movie was directed by Mark A.Z. DePay. Um, we've talked about one of his movies before. When we did the movies from 2022 grading on a curve episode, because he directed the animated Marmaduke, Mm. of which, yeah, (laughs) Marmaduke. But the funny thing is, this film is his directorial debut. Now, we talked about the graphics already, because you can't not talk about the graphics in this film. Prior to directing this film, he worked on the animation team for The Abyss, Terminator 2, and Jurassic Park. So he worked on those films in the animation department, and we got spawned. Hmm. Yeah. However, it was almost directed by Tim Burton, who was the original choice to direct this film. And I don't know what a Tim Burton spawn would look like. I actually think I could get behind that. I mean, I, and the, the set reason, design would be great. I don't hate that. Listeners, you have to keep in mind, one of Carrie's favorite films of all time is the 1988 Michael Keaton Batman film. Like, to the point of she has a lot of that movie damn well memorized. <laughs> about as memorized as she had that the the whole eat me beat me speech from pump up the volume that's how she was with batman so seeing tim burton on the list as the original choice to direct probably gonna play fairly well for her but there was another person who pulled out of directing this film to do another film and this is the one i would have loved to have seen alex proyas who backed away to do Dark City, but he also was the director of The Crow. Ooh, you know what? And yes, and I think that would have been that would have helped. Yeah, that would that, that would have been the the just the perfect touch on that. But I was even kind of thinking um, Frank Miller. Well, keep in mind, Sin City hadn't come out or was even close to coming out at that point. No, but I think that's what it needed was that kind of dark or even the Watchmen. 
But again, Zack Snyder wasn't even directing at that point. So you have to remember, this is 1997. Oh, hell, Robert Rodriguez. I, but you know what's <laughs> he, funny? He can do anything. You laugh, but I think Robert Rodriguez handling Spawn, I think that could work. It would be fantastic. Especially now. He can do anything. Now, the funny thing is, there were two sequels planned for after this movie, uh, but then it came out. And the public perception and reception happened. And well, even no. even watching it, I was like, they set this up. Oh, they totally set up they, for a sequel. They totally, they're calling their shot right now. Exactly. And it never happened. Now, the funny thing is, there was an original R-rated cut of this film. But they had to dial it back for PG-13 because that's how they got the money from the studio. I think I would have liked to have seen that. I know, right? Because the thing is, if you watch that HBO series, it holds nothing back. Like, absolutely nothing. And Spawn is a dark comic to begin with. Like, it's this was going to be um, a bold, adventurous take to do as a film in 1997 to begin with. And then we got this. In, in the vein of like following suit with the crow it would have worked i think that would have totally worked i think the problem at hand is is that they kind of went again that pg13 rating really it know, handcuffed it them yeah really hurt them um if it was darker if it was kind of more in line with Blade. Yeah. You know? Now, they, they did eventually re-release the R-rated cut, which, you know, had a bunch of new vids and all that. But the thing is, you get one shot in the theaters, really, you know, to, to make your mark. And they came out with the PG-13, and it showed in the theaters. Now, the film did have a budget of $40 million. Domestically, it made $54.8 million, and worldwide, $87.8 million. When it was released... On the August 1st, 1997 weekend, it debuted at number two with $19.7 million, which is a fair, fair take on this, right? Put it into perspective. In first, in its second week, was Air Force One, which was $25.7 million. And already at that point, it had made over 50, you know, over 50 million in its first week. So Air Force One was killing at the box office. Spawn was the highest grossing debut. The next film was more than 10 million back, and that was the third week of George of the Jungle. There are a few other debuts that came out that weekend. Picture Perfect debuted at number five with 7.8 million. Air Bud debuted at number seven with 4.8 million. And a movie called 187 debuted with 2 million in 1,121 theaters, less than half of what Spawn came out with. But it's not all doom and gloom for Spawn. There were some awards, at least some nominations. At the 1998 Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Makeup, They Lost to Mimic. At the 1998 Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, Michael Jai White was nominated for Fave Male Newcomer. He lost to Howard Stern in Private Parts. John Leguizamo was nominated for Favorite Supporting Actor in a Horror Film. He lost to Jamie Kennedy in Scream 2. 
and Teresa Randall was nominated for Fave Supporting Actress in a Horror Film. She lost to Sarah Michelle Gellar for I Know What You Did Last Summer. At the Stige Catalonian International Film Festival, the movie was nominated for Best Film. It lost to Gattaca, but it did win the award at that film festival for Best Special Effects. Huh? We'll get to that in a little bit. And at the 1998 Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, John Leguizamo was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He lost to Robert Blake in Lost Highway, but the film won an award at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. It was worst film of the year, mind you. It beat out Anaconda. There were only two films nominated in that category. So of the two films, this was the worst. But the reason we are here, not because Chad has challenged us to go down this road, but really it's the critic score. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 34. And over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 36%, so very much in line with the meta score. But the tomatometer is 17%. So when you hear 17%, Carrie, I'm going to ask you are you surprised? Not really. No? No. Um, and again, it, I, I wonder, I'm curious what, like, the R-rated cut would have, would have fared with the critics. Yeah. Now, in all honesty, we did watch this on Netflix, so the version that's on there right now, uh, that's the one we watched. But let's get into the breakdown of this. So actor by actor, let's see how this goes. Michael Jai White, who of course played Al Simmons or Spawn. How was he for you? I'm going to answer that question with a question. What else has he done or has he done anything since? Because I'm not going to lie. Like after hearing the almost start, I'm like, hmm, could have been, it could have been so different i mean really he hit okay i think my biggest complaint is that his character wasn't really introduced properly it really wasn't i mean he's running late he comes into the car and then almost the next beat he's he's dead yes. you know it's like uh, okay, let us know a bit more about him. Let us get to really feel for him. Like, it, it, it was it was almost like, I don't know, did, did I join the movie midway through or something? But it was right at the beginning. So give us more to enjoy the character. So before I get to his filmography here, I will agree with you that this film takes for granted that you know Spawn, and if you're going to see this film, you already know the character and what you're expecting. And I think, you know, in fairness, Spawn was one of the biggest comic characters at the time. Like, when Image Comics exploded and the Spawn comic books were like, like all over the place and the toys were out there and the whole... Like, McFarlane did a phenomenal job of creating uh, a great world for spawn in the pages of image comics but 
But for the uninitiated, for the uninitiated, you're you're listening. They're going, what the hell's going on? Because there's a whole lot of exposition going on in that opening montage during the opening credits. But there's a lot thrown at you, and it's it's like you have sensory overload from the opening credits. And I couldn't get over the really cheesy, fiery graphics. Yeah, but but that's the thing. There's a lot thrown at you in that opening and if you're not already into the world of spawn or at least have a decent idea of what you're prepared for you're sitting there going holy crap that i didn't realize i needed to take notes and i didn't know there was a quiz at the end of the movie yes thank you because that's exactly how i felt i'm like i didn't study for this test yeah it's like literally you know you know like when you go parachuting and they open the door and normally they'll count you down this is like they opened the door and kicked your ass out the door Meanwhile, forgetting to tell you how to open the parachute. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that being said, uh, you asked about Michael Jai White's uh, filmography prior to Spawn. Uh, He was in Two Days in the Valley. He was a soldier in Universal Soldier. He was an oil worker on On Deadly Ground. So this is really the biggest role for him at the time. Afterwards, he found himself in Universal Soldier The Return, uh, movies like Ringmaster, uh, Thick as Thieves. He was Gamble in The Dark Knight, so he did come back to the comic book world. Um, he was also Jax in Mortal Kombat. By the way, he turned down the role of Jax in the original Mortal Kombat film so he could do Spawn. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I think he actually chose the better film because there, there's, there was more potential, I think, for Mortal Kombat or sorry, for Spawn than there was for Mortal Kombat. And it's hard to tell, you know, which one would have turned out better. Hard to say, hard to say. He's also been in movies like Freaky Deaky, um, Never Back Down 2, Chocolate State. Like, there's there's a decent list of films that he's been in, um, just maybe not the, the face that you're familiar with. Right. Uh, I mean, again, he, he was fine, it was just kind of like, to me, he was an unknown because honestly, even though you're going through his list of filmography, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I've seen any of those. Yeah. So. And, it, and that's okay. But the thing to me is that, did he get the character of Al Simmons tonally right? See, I can't answer that because I don't know enough about the character. So let me expand on this a little bit here. Like Spawn is to me reminiscent of the silver surfer and if you remember that animated series that came out in the 90s that marvel was putting out the silver surfer was almost shakespearean in how he soliloquied his way through a lot of the episodes you know spawn would sit in the alleys and brood and contemplate his his return to earth and you know he came back for Wanda but Wanda's unavailable and how does he feel about that there's a lot of um self-monologuing in you know the role of Spawn and and again I'm going to go back to the animated series in that series he was voiced by Keith David and Keith David to me has one of the best voices for animation, uh, or even in documentaries. By the way, there's a documentary on YouTube, Comic Book Superheroes Unmasked, and it's narrated by Keith David. So if you want a good comic book documentary, go find that one. And he is, you know, you know it, Superman. 
Batman. He's so good. But the thing is, I think tonally, Michael Jai White actually did do well with Al Simmons. Even though the film was a PG-13 film, he still brooded and growled quite well. And I think he worked as Spawn. John Leguizamo as Clown or Violator, depending on which form he's in. How was he for you? Okay. Can I just say that I'm about like now years old finding out that that was the voice of John Languizamo. <laughs> you didn't know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> I was okay. At first I'm like, okay, this is kind of funny. And then as the movie went on, I'm like, okay, this is annoying. <laughs> like I, I liked that the character was there for comic relief. Like it, it was well written in, in, in its absurdity or it's, um, I don't know, almost like lowest common denominator of like comedy. See, I (laughs) really was. And this is where I have a problem with it. See, the thing with Clown is that, yes, he's funny, but it's more in a darker, sarcastic, menacing kind of humor. And there's parts of that here, but then you get scenes where, and I don't know if this was during reshoots or whatnot, where like he's dressed up as the cheerleader and dancing around. Like, that's not Clown. Clown is the kind of guy who's cracking jokes as he's slicing your arms open. Like, this is he's supposed to be a dark character visually they nailed him like john leguizamo from for the attitude killed it and it should be known that he went through i'm not gonna say he went through hell doing this role but the things he had to do in order to be able to pull this role off so he had to crouch down for the entire time that he was on camera because clown is a, a a shorter character and obviously much much more heavy so he's wearing this massive suit which in an interview he said felt like a penis wearing a condom during the scene in the alleyway where he's you know he grabs the piece of pizza and there's all the maggots on it those were actually wax worms and he took a bite and apparently when they said cut he threw up Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so... Yeah, that was hard to watch. Yeah, but the thing is, John Leguizamo was, and still is, I think, the perfect menacing personality to play clown. Because here is basically, you know, Hell's babysitter. And he ain't taking none of it. Like this, this is the guy that would sit there and like, you know, a kid, a kid would sit there and say, I'm thirsty. Oh, it's, well, it's raining. It's, I want you to go outside, you know, look up and open your mouth there. Chuckles. You know what though? I always see him as like the absolute sweetest, kindest, like I, I, th- I think of him from, um, playing with fire. Yeah, but no, I mean, I remember watching him in William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, the one that was directed by Baz Luhrmann, and that personality came through in this. So I, I could see that. But yeah, if you're, if you're used to him from playing with fire, that's a very different John Leguizamo. 
<laughs> which is why I was shocked that it was him because I'm like, I mean, he played it so damn well. Like he he was again like that perfect like it was quirky but it it needed the menace that he had if you remember him in the movie violent night of course he was like the main guy behind you know taking the hostages in the the big house um like he's the bad guy he's the baddie and he's not there to make you laugh he's there to lay it out in the most sarcastic and evil kind of humor way. Yeah, but Clown, I saw as a character, was meant to be funny, but not, it wasn't, it wasn't funny, but it was well-written, the quips, right? Yeah. It was quippy. Oh, yeah, no, no. I mean, and that's the thing, like, the sarcastic humor, that comes across as well from the comic books, and that's okay, but the 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 cheerleader dancing scene, no, just, just, just no. Like, if I want to see Chris Farley on a bender, I'll 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 watch him on Saturday Night Live. Go, you know, talk, tell me that I'm going to live in a van down by the river, and that's kind of how it felt. Sometimes it felt almost like they were trying to Chris Farley clown. Yeah. Okay. I can I can totally get behind that. But we didn't need that. We needed dark and menacing in a sarcastic, evil humor kind of way. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, 
you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Martin Sheen, who played Jason Wynn, the head of A6. How was he for you? Oh, my God. He was awful. He was evil, and I was totally there for it. When in this movie versus when in the HBO series, both evil, both the baddies, right? Tonally, so very, very different in that with Martin Sheen, you got a very gravelly, definitely a, almost like a stage villain. And you watch the animated series and win as voiced by John Rafter Lee. Calm, menacing in this kind of tone. And as he talks to you, he's going to tell you about all the things he's going to reveal to the world to make your life a living hell. That is why you're going to do exactly what he what he wants you to do. And you have no say in the matter. That's the tonality of Wynn. And we didn't get that in this. I would have liked to have seen an Alan Rickman in that role. I mean, if you're picturing a Severus Snape tonality to him, yes. But it's almost like you need the Hans Gruber look with the Severus Snape performance. See, but I wasn't even picturing Severus. I was I was thinking You were thinking Hans Bubby. Yes. 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 And that's the thing. Hans Gruber, you know, when he's being, you know, like when he's on the phone talking to Mr. McLean, the cowboy who's running around Nakatomi Plaza. Yes, yes, and yes. That's what we needed for Jason Wynn. And the thing is Martin Sheen, the reason why he took this role was he'd never taken a comic book role. And he he wanted to try it. I don't know. I couldn't get over the gravelly voice. Yeah, it just it it almost seemed comic booky, overdone. But yeah, but comic booky in a comic book way. But again, like you almost don't take him seriously because it's because it's comic. Yeah, esque. I- it it's it's a, it's almost like. Okay, oh, you're cute. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Aw, you're, oh, you're doing evil things. Pat you on the head. Go run around. That's adorable. Go get, it, go get an evil biggie. You have that, you know, growly voice. Mm-hmm. That's so cute. No, no. <laughs> if, if you had calm, cool, and collected um, Hans Gruber in this, you would, it would have been pitch perfect casting. Or even better, like Tim Curry. Like when he was at his absolute peak, I'm thinking like from the Oscar. Okay, but here's a problem. Where he could be funny, but he could also be quite frightening. An Oscar? Well, no, I mean, but but he could pull off. I mean. He could pull off the comedy mixed with. The oh, his, authority. His diction and elocution, if you're talking about him from Oscar, then yes, definitely. No, but I'm talking about in this role. No, but what I'm saying is if you took the the you know the succinctness of his delivery from Oscar and put it into a menacing role. But the problem with Tim Curry, that's not a problem with Tim Curry, because it's freaking Tim Curry, is that you look at him, and the minute he pops on screen, you're like, oh, Tim Curry, he's adorable. 
He's the bad guy. But no, I think he could definitely pull off, if he like pulled out the crazy, he could pull off authoritative and... But the thing is, Wynn isn't a crazy guy. You know, he is very much a, you know, he's the puppet master. He's the one, well. Oh, it was the woman that was totally wearing the pants in that. Too bad she didn't last. But since you're talking about her, let's talk about (laughs) Melinda Clark, who played Jessica Priest. Now, it should be noted that the character of Jessica Priest was actually written specifically for this movie. In the comic books, there's a character named Chapel, and Chapel is the one that kills Simmons at the behest of Jason Wynn. They could not use the character of Chapel in the movie. So they created Jessica Priest. By the way, Priest, Chapel, church-related, so that's why her, her name is there. Um, why could they not use the character? Because there was a rights issue. Even though the character was in Image Comics, it was done by another creator for Image Comics, so uh. they could not put that character into this property, despite the fact that Chapel is actually in the animated series. So... I ask you now, now I, I have my thoughts and, you know, as we were watching the film, I gave you my thoughts, but how was Melinda Clark as Jessica Priest for you? She was so cool. I mean, she was definitely, she was a force. Like, you just knew. You knew she was going to f*** up. <laughs> and she was so great about it. I mean. Until she died. Until she died. But the thing is, is that... Her very presence is kind of tropey. And hear me out. Hear me out. Fit, redhead, in all leather, and the guns there to kill people at the behest of whoever's in charge. Samurai cop. Um, kind of had a KM from Jason X feel to her if she was dressed by the by the costumer of Black Scorpion. Um freaking black widow like she very much was the black widow of this movie except that she didn't last past half the movie the problem is is that it felt like other characters i thought she played it well oh i mean i'm not saying she didn't play it well i'm just saying that the character felt like a trope but i mean if you can't have chapel in jessica priest is a, is a way to go Teresa Randall, who played Wanda, you know, the object of Al Simmons' return to Earth, uh, but she got married while he was dead. How was she for you? Again, their relationship wasn't flushed out well enough. Mm -hmm. So, really, I was kind of like, okay, so your husband passes away and you move on with his best friend his partner mm-hmm. like re- it, it, I, I really had trouble feeling for her I'm, I'm going to say something negative and then i'm going to say something positive about about her in this is that yes they did again take for granted that you already knew the spawn storyline so they didn't feel like they needed to spoon feed you the whole wanda owl backstory which then makes you care less once he's dead and when he comes back. But that being said, if I'm doing the comparison, and again, the HBO animated series, I, I feel like I am doing the same explanation as I did when I was on There Can Only Be One, and I was talking about the K 
Kiss episode, and every reference I seem to have seemed to be revolve around that Kiss Unplugged CD. Here, it's the HBO animated series that's my frame of reference for Spawn. But the thing is, Teresa Randall may be the one person who nailed the transition from comic to screen. Can I just ask for the uninitiated? Like, and again, without knowing or any prior knowledge of the comic book or the HBO special, why Al? Like, like, why? Why was he chosen? Why, why not his partner? Why was, why was he the one killed okay so in that moment let me let me explain here now and this is basically the coles notes version of spawn all right so al simmons is a trained killer for asex he goes and he does these missions for jason Wynn, regardless of the collateral damage that revolves around it he's married to wanda hell takes note of these killers because they're trying to build an army to come to Earth and take over and destroy the whole damn place, right? Because that's what hell wants to do, a whole lot of chaos, right? Cogliostro was a hell spawn who, who turned against Malgosia. So hell has been keeping an eye on Al Simmons for a while, and they decided now is the time for Al Simmons to die, go to hell, make the deal that he could return to Earth to be with Wanda if he led... Malgosia's army when he came back it was like five years later and Wanda had already moved on at that point so Al comes back realizes how long he's been gone and she's remarried had a kid something that they had talked about doing before he died yeah but why him why not his partner in the beginning because his partner is not a killer He's he's an analyst. He he he's a pencil pusher for for lack of a better term. Hell wants a warrior to lead, his, you know, their army. Okay. So it had to be Al. It was definitely not going to be Terry. Okay, because I I just thought they were just partners. Like no, they're just friends and they happen to work together. Mm. I know him. He's a friend from work. <laughs> speaking of comic book movies but yeah wanda really kind of nailed the performance of wanda and the translation from page to screen so kudos to Teresa randall and since you talked about terry fitzgerald as played by db sweeney you already said that you liked him in this and could see him you know as equal to a choice like ed norton but how was db sweeney for you you know what i knowing that he wound up marrying his best friend his partner's wife there's something just doesn't sit right with that storyline i'm like you know what no 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 like that like even if it's five years later which they have a five-year-old so you can kind of piece together that they do the math very quickly and that just seems really blah it, I don't know. It did not sit well with me. I didn't like him. I didn't like him from the beginning. At first, I was kind of like, okay, there's something something not right about their friendship, their partnership. There's 
just something weird. But again, it's one of those things where they pretty much jumped right in, didn't give you the backstory. You know. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of room for character development. It was a car ride of exposition. That's pretty much how it how it felt. That was the development of the Terry and and Al friendship. I tend to wonder if it would have been different if uh, Wanda had moved on and married like anybody else, right? Like, why did it have to be his partner or his supposed best friend? Yeah. I mean, now that being said, you know, he he does tell Terry to look after Wanda when he's off on these missions kind of thing. Okay, so, but that's not what he meant. That's, no, of course, it's <laughs> never what they mean. Like, anytime um, anyone says, I want you to look after her while I'm on this mission, A, you know they're not coming back immediately or if at all, and B, you know he's going to be boning the wife. In the short amount of time, in this film, at least the PG-13 version, is only 96 minutes. So it's not that long a film. So you don't really have the space. Oh, it felt like it. Okay, well, that's because you were tired. On and on and you, on. <laughs> you were tired and you're not exactly you know, you know feeling 100%. So I get it. I get it. But yes, you wanted someone in there that was going to not necessarily be you know down the middle or at least black and white good or bad right someone who is ambiguous in their morals right you know they were friends he married her after after he died how like the was the day after no i don't know but it was the day after <laughs> it kind of felt like it here's some dirt and here's a ring here you go it felt like it but the thing is that kind of life choice that terry made makes his role in you know everything that's going on a bit more suspect which i think is good you know you want you know ambiguity in some of these characters you want you don't want you don't want things painted out for you you know, like the the ring, like the the voice of fire. You know, blue, red, blue. Easy. It's almost kind of like he was so questionable that I kept kind of expecting to find out that he was involved somehow in Al's demise. Well, like the, the, truly, like that's kind of how it was sitting with me. But the thing is, they both work for Win, so they both know exactly who their boss is. So anyone who was still working for Wynn after Al dies is going to be a little suspect to begin with. And Wanda knows. Wanda knows that Wynn is not exactly the most upstanding of people. So everyone has a little bit of, not necessarily blood on their hands, but... Which makes me wonder about Wanda. Like, why the hell would she marry his, like, her deceased husband's best friend partner who works still currently for the guy the guy who killed her husband well the thing is it's 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 not that she knows that when had al killed all she knows is that i went on a mission for a6 and didn't come back that's that's her knowledge and you know we take it for granted that that's terry's knowledge as well because terry doesn't seem to be doing 
bad things, but again, you, you, he knows the things that are going on. He knows that it's, you know, collateral damage happens. That everything is not this clean op like it should be. So, you know, but sp- the world of Spawn is a Shades of Grey world. So you need Shades of Grey characters. Even though it's a battle between good and evil, there are people on the fence along the way. Someone, though, who's off the fence and knows exactly whose team he's on is Nickel Williamson, who played Cogliostro. This is the homeless guy in the alley that was trying to get Spawn to use his powers to fight against Malbolgia. But how was he for you? I so enjoyed him. Like, he was just, you know what? At first, he was a little creepy. And I'm like, what's he doing hiding in the shadows of the, the alleyway? Like, is he just some homeless guy that's just there and they're focusing on and then i'm like no when when you when you see him in the scene you just know something's going to go down and yeah it was he was so enjoyable to watch he played it so well we know that he not necessarily was a hell spawn we know there's something up though the fact that he has a magical green sword that pops out of his uh pops out of his sleeve so we know something's going on but it's not like he's he's not placating to spawn but he's also not exactly um you know you really should fight for the 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 light side no 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 this is a guy who actually fought for malbolgia and killed for malbolgia and eventually realized that the more he used his power the sooner he was going to die so he stopped using his power he t- he stopped killing for malbolgia and thereby put an end to like this hellish war that wanted to come to earth so and now a new hell spawn has come and he's doing his best to make sure that you know earth still stands and you again this is almost the for lack of a better analogy, the Obi-Wan Kenobi character of all of this, and I think Nicole Williamson, in his final ever role, did a really good job here. I agree. He was so enjoyable to watch. couple of kids to talk about here. The first one is Mike Hughes, who played Jack, the alley kid. Obviously, they've put this character in there to humanize Spawn, but how was he for you? You know what? I really liked him, and I... I that scene with his dad where he defended his dad even though he was probably going to take a beating from this man mm-hmm. um it was that was hard to watch it was really hard to watch i'm like oh like i get why it was necessary and it kind of shaped their relationship uh, his relationship with spawn um you know and and kind of built that level of trust too yeah right i mean you everyone needs that character to humanize you if you're trying to pull someone from the dark to the light jack kind of works that way you know he's you know he's an optimist in a pessimistic life and that's almost what spawn needs and it kind of works from from a character development standpoint i think jack definitely works Again, I think it's kind of important that he wasn't afraid of Spawn. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, with his face burnt up the way it was. Oh, Char like, Baby. 
he he um you know he could look quite frightening and, and menacing and the fact that this little guy wasn't afraid of him was it was quite touching and and even um the daughter as well like to see that she could look past his frightening appearance mm. and Sydney Bourdain yeah. uh, playing Cyan this is actually her first ever performance this is her acting debut and she eventually would go on to appear in 13 going on 30 Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and I think that's the thing too, is that in Spawn, when he comes back and he looks at himself, it's not just that he's looking at his current predicament and not being able to be with Wanda again as easily as he wishes. It's that he also has to come to terms with the fact that the things he did in his life when he was alive led him to hell so it's a self-reckoning, but the innocence of a child's eyes can see the good in someone even when they don't see the good in themselves. So I think between Jack and Cyan, you had redemption for Spawn, or at least you know an anchor or, or a life preserver. It humanized him. Absolutely. Even, yeah. even after he was demonized. Okay. I need to ask you this, because this bugged me the entire time. Malbolgia, the demon that never moved their mouth when they were actually talking, which is fine, which is fine, because when Violator, you know, when Clown would change to the Violator form, Violator talks through um, telepathy, right? You know, basically mind-to-mind contact. So Malbolgia not moving his mouth, I can kind of live with. But as he's talking, will you not get a Dr. Claw vibe from Inspector Gadget? <laughs> I I thought that was so cheesy. <laughs> the entire, oh, that part, it, was it necessary? Well, I mean, Malbolgia is the reason, you know, Al got his spawn powers and was sent back to Earth. Malbolgia is the one that creates the hell spawn. So I don't know if you needed hell. I think you could have done a lot of it through, you know, through clowns soliloquies and the way he, you know, clown tries to keep spawn on track. I don't, I don't think you needed to go to hell. I completely agree. But the thing is, I mentioned the Dr. Claw thing because as I'm watching this and I hear Malbolgia talk and I'm like, oh my God, it just freaking sounds like a discount Dr. Claw. It's not a discount Dr. Claw. It's the voice of Frank Welker, who was Dr. Claw on Inspector Gadget. Oh, well, there you have it. So it is straight up. And by the way, also Frank Welker, the voice of Megatron. So you're welcome. But the thing is, it's like, if you watched Inspector Gadget as a kid, as I did... And I know you did oh, too. Oh, I did. Right? And I didn't pick up on it though. And the minute you hear, I'll get you next time, Gadget. Next time. And then all of a sudden, like, you will lead my army on the planet Earth. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> freaking Dr. Claw is in hell. I think at that point, I was I was losing it. I was starting to fall asleep. 
I, I I'll admit. You're starting to fall asleep now just thinking about the film. I need to point this out though. Cuz we're here to we're here to talk about the positives. The show is called It's Not That Bad. So I want I want to give credit where credit is due. Spawn looked like Spawn. The suit, the mask, even the green glowing thing around his eyes like he looked like freaking Spawn. Now, I'll I'll let the cape pass because in 1997, you know, cape animation technology isn't where it is now. You know, it's a, just take a look at Doctor Strange. The cape is a character. But to you, and I, I know you're not the biggest Spawn fan, and you really had no idea going into this film anything about Spawn, but how was the costume design for you? Where did he get the cape? I mean, the cape is part of the like the, the the powers that he has. Like the cape and the suit are all like, for lack of a better term, like like hell formed nanotech type. Okay, but there was no introduction. It was literally like like I think I think what really bothered me now that I reflect back is his mask that would kind of be present and then just kind of like go go gadget you know like it would almost like an iron man thing fold yeah. into itself yeah iron man style but it kept doing it so often that it was almost like okay pick one are you going to be the masked spawn or are you going to show your face like it it was it was too much in transition from one to another see i'll i'll, I'll- I'm like pick a character I'll give them a little bit of leeway in this because one of the biggest criticisms of the first Spider-Man, like the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man film, is that like there's this scene up on the rooftop where Spidey and the Green Goblin are talking to each other, and Goblin's got his like you know his helmet on with the full face shield, and Spidey's got his mask on, and it's like oh, it's like two action figures being held and talking to each other like in one of those toy commercials. I think with Spawn. Yes, the mask is iconic to the look of the character, but you still want to see the face. I think they overused it, though. Was it necessary to keep switching? Like, it's literally like he would have his mask to introduce himself, and then it would switch back to his... Well, I think during his face, I think during the action scenes, I think it works well in that you can put the stunt man in the mask and, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, if it looks like Michael Jai White in the, uh, the, the char baby makeup. I mean, the character design of, of, of clown. And the character design of Spawn, I think, did very, very well. And, you know, I I think they definitely earned that nomination at the Saturn Awards for that. The soundtrack, like, this is one of the more recognizable soundtracks of the 90s. You know, of course, with the the mashups between, like, Orbital and Kirk Hammett, and you had Marilyn Manson on there. Like, and it was a lot of these metal bands uh, and techno groups grouping together to form a, uh, you know, one of those, like, mashup-type albums where everyone's kind of, like, hybriding their own genres. I mean, I know we have at least one copy of the Spawn soundtrack. But the thing is, and maybe this is just me, I think this soundtrack, and this may be a controversial statement here, 
is overrated. Fascinating. The Judgment Night soundtrack, I think, which of course came out first, I think did the whole genre mixing thing better. But I mean, let's be honest. If we're looking at comic book soundtracks in the 90s, it begins and ends with The Crow. The Crow is the most iconic 1990s comic book soundtrack period and the music set the tone of the film and here i mean yes um uh, can't you trip like i do was used during the beginning of the, the 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 film and um that insane little montage exposition dump during the credits that you're like what the hell is going on you got this crazy techno music and uh all the graphics and all the character faces and 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 narration and everything and i'm supposed to pay attention i think the soundtrack got in the way at that point but i think the soundtrack was a little overrated despite the fact that it hit number seven on the billboard 200 number one on the new zealand album charts and certified gold in the u.s and australia and platinum in canada but compared to the crow this soundtrack pales in comparison before we get to the end, though, the internet has spoken. Our good friends over at the Movie Duel podcast chimed in with really suffers from the bad CGI, and oh dear God, I definitely agree. Even at the time, it looked bad, but it's fanatically dark and gritty. Would probably have been a big hit had they waited another 10 years to make it. Now, he's not wrong. Not wrong. And Blumhouse has said that they are putting a Spawn movie together to be released targeting 2025. Given today's technology, given today's CGI, can a Spawn movie in 2025 released by Blumhouse and if it's by Blumhouse, you know it's going to be an R-rated film. I don't know. Look what Blumhouse did with FNAF. Okay, but that was a calculated decision. And I'm I'm actually going to give Blumhouse credit because think about it. Five yeah. Nights at Freddy's, who plays that game? Kids play that game. If yeah. you made that movie R-rated, the entire audience for that game can't go see the movie then it would have been willie's wonderland uh but willie's wonderland was the be- was they so much better it better okay. it was so much better all right i digress okay but blumhouse r-rated 2025 spawn movie can it work i can get behind that because when you said that spawn was dark and gritty i'm questioning if you're watching the hbo series because totally. i did not i didn't find this to be dark and gritty at all i found it to be campy and almost like a spoof on what it should have been dark and gritty. I wanted more like a crow kind of almost black and white. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was like in full fiery technicolor. Yeah. And I mean, like, even when you get to the, the fight in hell between Malbolgia and and Spawn or even with Violator and Spawn. Like, it looks so bad. Like, so bad. Like, I'm watching this, I'm like, what the hell's going on? 
This is, you're making, the graphics in this made the Lawnmower Man look like Jurassic Park. And it took away from it. And it made it look almost laughable. And again, I've seen PlayStation games with better graphics. But I'm 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 digressing. I'm I'm just grumbling now here. But I think yes, 2025 Blumhouse R-rated Spawn film. And don't just take for granted that your audience knows Spawn. Give us the story. Like it's been a while. Let's let's reintroduce everyone to it. Right, and make us feel more for the character. Exactly. Because I just I, I felt nothing and then by the time he turned into spawn i I was like okay well you know here we are (laughs) (laughs) here we are sorry for you bud but uh your 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 wife's moved on with your best friend and you know i i mean i i felt that he was done dirty but i didn't feel enough for the character. Carrie has zero empathy for the hell spawn. I yeah. Sorry. Felt nothing. I feel like I need to say that now in the in the Dr. Claw voice. Or sorry, Malbojo voice. <laughs> Carrie feels no remorse. No. <laughs> no. All right. We'll get you next time, Gadget. Okay. We've come to the end of the show. So Carrie, who is your MVP of 1997's Spawn? I got to go with the dog. Spaz? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know what? We did not mention the dog. And I have to give props because it was... The the dog knows. The dog knows his master. And that moment that he he ran to him and, and stayed with Spawn, even though... You know, his face didn't look quite the same. The dog didn't care. It was his master. He just was so happy to reconnect with him. Not only that, but what the hell is with the family that just leaves their dog, drives away with their daughter and leaves the dog? Really? Come on. Who does that? It should should be noted that the dog, Spaz, is actually named after animator Stephen Spaz Williams, who worked on this film and worked with the director prior to making this film. So there is an actual Spaz in real life and is related to Harland Williams, who we have talked about on this show before when we did the Dog Park episode. He was Callum. <laughs> so yes, the dog is named after a guy who's related to the guy from Dog Park. Yeah. It all works together. So your 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 MVP is the dog. I'm Callum. I'm Callum. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to give my MVP to John Leguizamo. And I, I say that even with the intentional attempt to lighten up the mood with some of the things that they did with him. But I think for the physical acting that John Leguizamo did for the time he spent in the chair in looking like clown and the times when he really nailed, and he did 
he nailed a lot of the mannerisms and a lot of the menace that were akin to not just the comic books, but the HBO series. Like, kudos to John Leguizamo for getting through this film because there's a lot when you're when you're in that much makeup and that much costume and eating real live wax worms, I guess. Ugh. Yeah. Um, kudos to John Leguizamo. He killed it in this. Carrie, I know you're not feeling 100%, but thank you so much for toughing through this episode. Absolute trooper. Chad, thank you so much for suggesting this film. And listeners, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about us hit us up on social media at not that badcast or go to our website at notthatbadcast.com just like chad did drop us a line and let us know what movies you would like us to cover and we will watch it we will dissect it and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those a grades in b movies until next time she's carrie listeners you guys are awesome this is it's not that bad a member of the pantheon podcast network take care it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.